Hello, my soul-seeking friends. It's Shanna. Thank you so much for listening to Sense of Soul Podcast. Enlightening conversations with like-minded souls from around the world, sharing their journey of finding their light within, turning pain into purpose, and awakening to their true sense of soul. If you like what you hear, show me some love and rate, like, and subscribe. And consider becoming a Sense of Soul Patreon member, where you will get ad-free episodes, monthly circles, and much more. Now go grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. In today's episode, I have Donald Altman. He's a psychotherapist, international mindfulness trainer. He's a former Buddhist monk, and he's an award-winning author with over 20 books. He's profiled in the Living Spiritual Teachers Project and featured in the Mindfulness Movie. And he's also a writer for Psychology Today Mindful Practices blog, which has been read by over 1 million. Donald has also won two Emmy Awards as a writer on CBS-produced children's program in Chicago. He's the host of Pathways Radio and Podcast. And honestly, this man has done so much inspiring work. I could go on for an entire episode. But today, Donald is joining us to tell us about his newest book, which is also an award-winning book. It's a spiritual suspense novel called Travelers about a grieving psychiatrist who faces demons, both real and imagined. Hi. Oh, hi, Shanna. Thank you so much for being with me today. I'm excited to hear more about your book. Just to start off, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and maybe tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, I live in Oregon, but I'm from Chicago. And the journey to writing Travelers was uh, never could have predicted. Everything changed really, I'd say in the late 90s when I entered a Theravada Buddhist monastery. Theravada is the old school of Buddhism. And that really turned my life around because I had experienced a lot of trauma growing up in a a family of origin. And who of us doesn't, right, experience some uh, hardship in some way. But the silver lining for me was that I started to recognize some repetitive, you know, uh, destructive patterns. And I had gone to therapy and done some work, but some of these things were still there. And and it's kind of like, I think, you know, who brought this can of worms, right? (laughs) So I wanted to look more deeply into that. And I met this monk, there was a friend who said, oh, there's a monk I think you should meet. And I met this monk never expecting that I would some months later ordain with him as a teacher in the monastery. When I met him, he had this incredible sense of compassion and availability. And I'd never really sensed it like to that extent from anyone before. And so I was hoping to learn how did he become like that? And he seemed to have such a great sense of peace and equanimity about him. So I uh, had an opportunity after you know my whole destructive pattern repeated again And I thought, you know, I've got to, you know, maybe I can get to the bottom of this and have him as this wonderful guide on the journey. And he was a wonderful guide. And I got to have some one-on-one interviews with him. And it was an amazing thing as a novice monk, you go through this two, it was two to three hour initiation into this very ancient order. And and they were all Burmese monks. His name was Uthi Lananda. He's a well-known 
teacher from Burma who came to the United States and in the late 70s. And what I discovered was that the one thing that he loved teaching more than anything else was the, was the loving kindness meditation. And that was something that I think helped him develop that sense of this other way of being that I think is it's innate. I mean, it's in all of us. We have it there. It's like a seed and you just need to cultivate that seed and, 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 and help that grow. So that was a major change for me. Uh, and I was only in the monastery for a period of time. And I had a sense, I was very ripe. I was ready for the experience. And I thought I would, my work would be out in the world. And when I got out of the monastery, I started doing different spiritual workshops and realized though that I had people coming to me with issues that I felt, well, you know, maybe I, I need to learn more. And so I uh, went back, never expected to go back to grad school at 50 years of age. And, you know, I, I doubted, I wondered if I could do it. And every, you know, most of the people were in their twenties and some in their thirties and, and, uh, but I wanted to work with people in also a, um, a you know, a therapeutic way. And I came in at the right time because mindfulness was just beginning to be accepted in the field of therapy. And so it was wonderful. I could, and I, and I worried about that actually, because I was like, well, are they going to accept? Because I could see the benefit of, and what it had done in my life. And so as the timing was right. And I, uh, so it changed my whole career path. And even the kind of work that I did and the kind of writings I did, and I started doing spiritual uh, mindfulness and self-help books at that time. What, who were you before? Well, before that, I um, actually was also a writer. Primarily, uh, I wrote uh, for a number of different things. I wrote for a children's TV show back uh, um, in the early part of my career. And oh, really? Can you share which one? Yeah, yeah, it was a CBS produced show uh, out of Chicago called The Magic Door. Okay. And we, we won a couple of Emmys for that show, and I was real proud of that show. Uh, uh, Dan Castellaneta, who was uh, the voice of Homer Simpson, he was on that show. Oh, wow. Uh, one of the other writers, the guy that wrote Groundhog Day, that famous. Oh, I so we had a really <laughs> interesting staff and group of people there, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. What was your faith looking like? Were you part of any religion prior? Oh, you know what? My, I mean, I, I grew up in a Jewish family. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I never, I, I, I never, for some reason, I just didn't really gravitate toward it. And I don't know why, you know, from an early age, I had feelings when I was a young boy, maybe, you know, my five, six, seven years old that I had lived before mm -hmm. ideas of reincarnation. Nobody ever told me about any of these ideas. So I had these other <laughs> feelings. And um, so, uh, yeah, actually, and it caused a bit of consternation, a bit of a upended things when I became a monk. They didn't understand why I would do that, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Uh, so even though my family wasn't particularly religious, but you're taking a different path. Right. right. What I've learned, I think, is that, you know, we, everybody has to take their own path. Mm -hmm. There's not one path for everybody. Yeah. I actually remember Thich Nhat Hanh had said he felt it would be a travesty 
if someone lost their religion and mm. that wasn't his um, intention in writing. Um, I think it was Living Buddha, Living Christ in that book. Yeah. And I always thought about that. And unfortunately, you know, I did grieve my religion. I've been, it's been a you know, journey of grieving that. And, and, and coincidentally, I've been very fascinated with Jewish mysticism. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. Oh, I, you know, and that's that's interesting because I, I found that I was just more interested in this in the mystical aspects of all different traditions. Actually, mm -hmm. and that was yeah. um, whether it, I, you had mentioned the Gnostic readings; mm -hmm. those are so amazing. Um, and um, I had a monk in the monastery who taught me the mystical mantras of Buddhism, for example, mm -hmm. things that people don't normally hear about. But I always kind of sought out that. And I, I love the Sufi tradition and the, mm -hmm. the mystical ideas in there. And I've had some Sufi friends. So I... You know, I always say that Jesus in the Gnostic Gospels reminds me of a Zen master. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, much different than the Jesus that we were taught when I was younger. Uh -huh. So yeah. I love that. And, and actually, in looking at your book and reading some of it, I saw your book as almost like allegorical, like it's an allegorical story or many allegorical stories. Yeah, I, I wanted to take people out of the ordinary world. And the story is based on a psychiatrist who has uh, lost his, I won't say lost his way, but he's, he lost his daughter. And so it was such a devastating loss for him that he uh, he really didn't know how to recover. And he's taken when this mystical traveler and her sentient dog and this suicidal patient come to the psych ward uh, and things are happening that are out of his ordinary realm of reality. He's and he ends up being taken on a mystical journey, an unwanted mystical journey, I should add. <laughs> That is so yeah. interesting. Yeah. I mean, so I'm writing a book right now myself. It will be my very first book. It is on my journey of the Pistosophia um, in one of the Gnostic Gospels. And in my prologue, I am what you're describing. So I actually said that I felt like I was some sort of traveler going back into time and seeing things. And I'm like, whoa, this is nothing that I ever imagined. And then coming back into this world looking, going, whoa, nobody knows what's going on. And I felt that I was in between these two worlds. And it was, yeah, I mean, I guess sometimes literally felt that way, but, you know, just writing the prologue, it was unexpected as it came out that I felt almost like I was time traveling. <laughs> Well, I think there are just so many mysteries. And that's the other thing I wanted to do was help people reconnect with the wonder and the magical nature of everything that's around us, right? It's, it's sometimes it, it blows my mind when I think about it, that somehow, I mean, through all the years and I mean, all the, the cosmos started what the, they say, the size of a pinhead and that, that it manifested everything we see around us. And uh, so I think there's something magical happening here. I mean, even that we're 
talking, we're here together sharing this moment. And how did that come about, right? Two mystics. <laughs> yeah. It's happening all over right now. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think people are, you know, reacting to the mechanical nature of everything's thought of as being mechanical and reductionist, even consciousness. Yes. Reduce it down to, uh, you know, neurons firing as if that's what consciousness is. And that's that every, and, and that we're, we don't have free will. I mean, many of these neurologists, uh, neuroscientists don't believe that uh, we have free will, that everything is just a firing of all these neurons. But it's really, I think it's kind of silly to think about that. If you ask anybody, <laughs> you know, we have choice and that's the beauty of it. I mean, if we didn't have choice, some people would say, well, why is there, you know, bad things happen in the world? Or why would God allow this? Well, God allows it because we have free will and we have a responsibility to ourselves and to others. And mindfulness, which, you know, I've spent a lot of time working on is really about just reducing suffering in the world, reducing our own suffering and reducing the suffering of others so we're all connected and yeah just again it goes back to that mystery i mean mm -hmm. how you know how can we explain the things that happen in our lives and we have to be open i think and i think that's where the the journey you know looking within i don't know did you was that a part of your journey did you look within and say how did i come to have these beliefs or these ideas yeah. You know, actually, it was a specific question I asked myself early on. And it was, how much of what I believe in have I told? Have I been told to believe in? And of that, how much have I experienced to be my truth? Mm. And I, I was speechless. I, I was nothing. You know, except for the only thing I think I could actually had honestly say that I experienced to be true, to be my truth, was love. Anything else, who I was, who I was trying to be, who I wanted my children to be, what I believed in, all of it was what I was told to do and believe in and do. And you know, it's interesting, I still am triggered a little bit when it comes to religion. I think I have religious trauma syndrome. But you know, when you were talking about free will and choice, I think of the word heresy, which in Greek means choice. Mm. And that has been quieted in us for a long time. It was heresy to go out of that box. Yeah. That means choice in Greek. And that to me is almost like they push down the free will that is in the in us. Because mm. it's like our free will is finally freed. <laughs> yeah. As and, and self-awareness. Self-awareness is kind of the root, I think, of that free will. Mm. And we can actually say, okay, is this really, am I doing this because I was told to do this? Am I doing this because I habitually have hardwired myself to do this, like a habit? Or, you know, um, you know, who am I? What do I want to be in this world? How do I want to express myself? But I love what you said about love. I mean, that is 
Um, I think the Buddha said, um, um, hatred does not overcome love, only love overcomes love. You need to bring a positive attitude, even toward those who are maybe challenging to you in your life. That's the big challenge for us, isn't it? To face what we don't know or don't understand or people we don't understand. And if we could just get curious, I think if we could just get curious about other people and not view them as enemies or, or as ignorant, but just as people who maybe we just, you know, we haven't walked in their shoes. We don't know where they're coming from and how can we bridge that gap? Yeah, using that empathy that is such a gift, right? I mean, we all have it. You know, I remember there was a time where I thought, oh, I am an empath. You know, like I am like, it was something just unique to me. And then in working with people's energies and, you know, raising four children and and just realizing, oh, it's all in us to be able to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. However, I think that there's a lot of fear in that. Yeah of maybe implicit bias or judgments or fear, just fear, really. Yeah, fear is, I think fear is one of the things that drives a lot of people. That's actually one of the ideas in Travelers, now that you mentioned that, is, you know, is, is overcoming fear. And this character has to overcome his fear and enter kind of this unknown space. And he goes on a shamanic journey. In fact, an interesting thing happened when I was writing that, after I wrote the book. At the end of the book, he goes on this journey in this wilderness area with his guide, who's this traveler Jackie and her little dog. And he gets lost. She gets separated from him and he's got a spirit guide who he connects with. And at some point in this wilderness, he encounters this fierce wild animal who is going to attack him. And he jumps off the trail, which is very steep and almost like a cliff goes down. There's a falls. He heard the water underneath, but he jumps off the cliff into the unknown. And I won't tell you what happens, but some months later, I was hiking the same park. It's a wilderness area, uh, kind of uh, probably about 30 miles from Salem, which is the capital of Oregon. And it's this amazing 10,000 acre wilderness park with, I don't know how many falls they have. Wow. Yeah, beautiful. And so I'm hiking there with my wife and I tripped and fell and I incurred the same injuries that my character did. Oh my gosh. Months. This was like six months after I had written it. I love stuff like that. <laughs> and she helped me out of the park, which he didn't have anybody to help him. But I had the same kind of injuries. And as I was walking out, I described things in the book. This was a part the side of the park. I'd been to the south end. This was, I, we were hiking the north end. And I had, you know, just made up in my mind what I thought, you know, part of the park would look right. like. And even I had described in the book what, was actually there in the north end of the park as she was taking me out of. And it hit me, even as we're, you know, hiking out of the park. Oh my God, how did this happen? I described 
and experience something that's in my book. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Do you think that maybe you predicted it or did you manifest it? <laughs> no, I, yeah, that's the wonder. That's the mystery of it. I mean, it's a synchronicity. Yeah. These things that just happen, but it's important we pay attention to it. For me, it felt yes. like an affirmation in some way. It was a painful affirmation. <laughs> was there a lesson in that somehow for you? You know, when it, yeah, I think when it happened, it was, <laughs> the lesson might have been to be a little more careful about where I was stepping because it's a very rocky trail with a lot of branches and things. And, and I had wanted to stop and take a little rest, but I thought, no, I'll just keep going. So maybe that was just a kind of reminder to, you know, sometimes we need to listen to ourselves. And if, you know, your body's telling you or some voice inside you is saying, hey, let's just take a pause or to listen to those intuitive ideas inside. And I didn't, and <laughs> I had that. Yeah. So, you know, you know, I have a child who's autistic. Um, I have mental illness and neurological issues in my family. And the only thing I could say about it is, you know, having people in my family who, who do struggle a little bit socially and stuff like that, that they have been such a blessing to me and to my other children. They've taught us compassion. Mm. My kids having a brother, I have four kids, so his siblings have been blessed. They are very compassionate, very empathetic. I mean, they're always standing up for someone. I just always think what a gift, you know, he is. And actually, my oldest son had worked with more severe disabilities than his brother. Um, he had a nonverbal Down syndrome child that he worked with. That kid changed my son's life. You know, he was like early 20s and they had this connection. They could understand each other on a level that most people couldn't. Wow. And so even with people who have mental illness, you know, in my family have, I know, caused all of us to be more patient, more considerate, caring, more present. Really, you have to be present with, you know, someone who may have schizophrenia or is autistic. Right. But I feel like people who are, you know, and I had a, a clinic for many years, but I had a major depressive disorder in my 20s. And I think that, that you know, people are, are experiencing emotional issues, mental illness, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, I, uh, it's, it, to me, I see it as kind of an initiation. Mm spiritual initiation if you look at it sometimes you have to enter a dark place to get you know to where you can see the light and see things differently we stigmatize mental illness which is so wrong i mean i hope that's changing that's one of the reasons i wanted to write this book too was that's one of the kind of sub themes in in travelers is how the system kind of sees us like in a machine kind of way but you have to look at the context of the whole being and the spiritual side of our nature and how healing that can be. When I was going through my, in, in my twenties, going through this um, difficult time 
I started to have experiences, non-ordinary experiences. And I remember when it happened, I was also seeing somebody, a psychiatrist at the time, who's very helpful. But I, I never told him about these experiences. It's probably a good thing I didn't. He might have said, oh, you know, you're having hallucinations or you're, you're having auditory this or that. And would try to give it a name, a diagnostic label, which wouldn't have been yes. good and pathological. And it wasn't pathological. It, for me, was an opening into a glimpse of something beyond the pain and oppressive condition I was feeling, as if to say, wait, there's more to you and more to the world than you could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. And it gave me a sense of relief, actually. These were fleeting glimpses of like non-ordinary reality, or you know, maybe you think of them as having a vision, or I don't know what you might call it. I felt what I experienced was actually my life energy, my life force. And I allowed it to happen. I remember at the time just thinking, you know what, if this is happening, let's just, it must be natural in some way. I'm just going to allow it. And, and, and actually it was very related, I think, to meditative states and meditative experiences. Yeah. 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 But I didn't pathologize it myself. And I actually know people who said that they've started to experience the same thing and they got afraid and blocked it off. They were afraid of it. For me, it was actually, a, I think the depression was kind of a spiritual initiation and allowed me to see things differently. It's like, if you want to make a good omelet, you have to crack a few eggs, right? I love that because I can so relate. I know that for myself, I, I mean, I grew up with anxiety. I didn't know what it was. You know, I thought I was having a heart attack <laughs> from oh. a very young age. Then you know, of course, then knowing what it was and it's, you know, I mean, I was on medication for seven years, so numbed out. And then I got off of it and I went and learned some tools and mindfulness was my very first tool that I learned. Cool. And then I tricked myself in listening to mantras because it was suggested that I do mindfulness. So I, I look it up and this is early 2000s and there wasn't a whole lot that I could find. So I saw something on malas. They didn't have no malas I could buy anywhere. And the ones that were there were so expensive. Now you can buy them everywhere. So I made one. Yeah. And I was like, well, what do you, you know, this is kind of boring just going around. And so I looked for something to listen to. Well, at the time I was still very Christian. So I wanted to find something that had to do with God. <laughs> so I found something that said, God is love. And it was a mantra. Yeah. Little did I know it was one of the most powerful Hindu mantras, ancient, ancient. Yeah. And I would do it and I loved it. It was like I was awakening and I would notice everything. I became a different person. It's incredible for me, too. I mean, I've worked with mantras where I was doing mantras at one point under the tutelage of one of the other monks. This is even after I left the monastery for about up to three hours a day, just sitting and doing three hours of mantras. And it was amazing to me how it started to change my life. Yes. We're vibration, and I mean, we look, we look like we're solid, right. right? Everything looks like it's solid, but if you go down to the molecular level, it's all vibrating, right? And that's what these mantras are, they're vibrations, and they actually can change, I believe, somehow, our molecular structure of how we're thinking, feeling, 
and they're very powerful. Even the loving kindness meditation is a mantra. Oh, my favorite one too. You mentioned that as my favorite one was my first one and I use it all the time. Yeah. I would just, I mean, I have taught that to a lot of clients too. Yes. And I have people adapt it. I say, you don't have to use the word just as they're written here. And they were given originally to the monks when the Buddha told the monks to go out into the jungle and into the forest to meditate. They came back and they said, you know, oh, it's kind of scary out there. We're afraid. <laughs> so Buddha said, let me give you this loving kindness practice is a meditation will overcome your fear. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so at least that's the story as it goes. And <laughs> I saw love that. that. So they helped them. But I think it is so powerful, simple practice, you know, uh, because you send the loving kindness to yourself first. And then you send it to others. And I have, I'd like to show you, I've developed a very simple and it's portable. You can do this anywhere. And it's a loving kindness practice using the breath to help anytime that you might feel unsettled or overwhelmed or stressed to take one breath in and say one of the words, like just say love or peace, or may I be peaceful, may I be loved, may I be accepted and breathe that in and feel it just coming into all the cells of your body. And then as you exhale, exhale that out, that wish for all other beings. Just breathe it out, may all beings be loved, may all beings be accepted or forgiven, whatever it is that you sent to yourself. And here is a simple one breath in, one breath out, loving kindness meditation. I love that. That meditation is truly, I think, what we were missing. It is for us to, Breathe yeah. it in and then share it with the world collectively. You know, uh, many years ago, I remember I had visited a friend. I was near the L.A. airport and I lived down in Los Angeles for a period of time. And I left. It was evening and I was walking to my car and in this dark area. And I had this feeling. <laughs> I had the thought, wow, what if somebody attacked me right now, like at knife point, you know, and where would I go? And I'm looking around, where would I run? What would I do? I don't know why this thought came in my head. And I'm still walking a little bit. And then lights on a, a car about a block and a half down, lights on a car. And I said, so what if it was these people in this car? Yeah. But they drove up here and jumped out and attacked me with knife at knife point. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and, uh, Wow. And so here I was at this guy had a big like butcher knife and oh my God. yeah. And he was saying, don't run, give me your money. You know, a little voice said, throw the money, throw the wallet said, so I threw the wallet and I ran in the other direction. And the next day I reported it to the police and the policeman took my report. And then he said, I started to go and he said, wait, wait. He says, you know, I'm just wondering, I'm curious. I mean, you're the first person I get a lot. Of, I do a lot of these reports. You're the first person that wasn't angry at the person who attacked you. And I said, well, I could feel their distress. And I did. I felt this person in order to do what he did, he was under a tremendous amount of, you know, I could feel his angst, his worry his just like, he didn't really want to want to do this, but he had, he must've been so desperate. And I felt that desperation. I felt all of that. And I, I felt compassion for him. You know, so if somehow we can allow ourselves to get be behind that automatic conditioning, right? And to go deeper. 
you know, ever since COVID, I haven't done too many live workshops, but I would do the live workshops and I would talk about compassion. And there was a beautiful story that Tolstoy did called The Three Questions. I think you would particularly would like this. Look that up online. Three Questions by Tolstoy. He wrote it in the 1880s and it's made into a children's book too, beautiful illustrated children's book. Yeah. yeah, by a guy named Robert Muth, M-U-T-H. And so, um, and so I would prime them and, and talk about this three question and the story that really talks about, you know, what's the most important thing to do in the world? Who are the most important people? And when is it the most important thing to do anything? And mm. it's about this king and he goes out and, you know, he's searching for these answers. And anyway, he gets the answer that the most important person is the one who's right in front of you right now. The most important thing to do is to help that person. And when should you do this is, is now. The most important time is now because you never know if you'll be with that person again. So they were very, you know, moved by this story so it's such a powerful thing. And then I would have them pair up with someone they didn't know. I say, okay, you're going to sit for three minutes in silence, facing mm -hmm. that, just sitting down, facing that person and feeling compassion, you know, feeling understanding for someone. You know, nowadays everybody's talking about their differences and they, you know, they have their little, you know, box. I'm one of these, I'm one of those, you're not. You, <laughs> but if you really look at, humans i mean our human birthright is that we all experience loss if you're in a human body if you have a human mind you're going to uh, experience aging you're going to lose someone close to you and that's what we have in common it, it brings us together far more importantly and deeply is the human experience than all these things that we look at on the surface that make us appear different from one another so i have them sit in the would look at one another and I sometimes just tears would start to stream yeah. or other people would start to just laugh with one another, feel the sense of joy. Yeah. <laughs> and afterwards I said, well, what was that like? And they, I had people say, you know, it was like I was looking in the mirror at myself mm. and just having these powerful experiences for three minutes. And how often do you sit with somebody who's really, especially now our attention has been drawn outward to screens and different kinds of things all the time we don't have time to just reflect or just to sit face to face with uninterrupted time with another and when i would ask people well how much time do you sit with you know you sleep with you know sometimes somebody would come in and they'd have an issue with a relationship issue and i'd say well how much time do you sit daily face to face uninterrupted and just talk with your partner and some people would say, I remember people would say, well, can I count the time, you know, when the, when I put the television on mute during the commercial? <laughs> but and, I was like, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go get, oh, get me some popcorn or something. Yeah, right. What do you want for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we maybe have lost some of that with others and just sitting and being face to face, putting those devices away for a little bit and right taking a little breather i'm doing a thing now that i have to tell you is I'm, I'm calling it no phone weekends so i'm putting the phone away for the weekends and i noticed that my mind slowed down i became more present yeah. i wasn't thinking i wasn't future tripping about oh wait 
oh, you know, this thing that I had to do or waiting for this text or wait, you know, I was just, it brought me more present. And so I think we just need to create some little boundaries and little ways of making sure that we're taking care of that part of our lives. I love that. You know, I did see that you had wrote a book on mindful eating. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we do that. My 11-year-old, is. she absolutely knows that. And she does have anxiety sometimes, and she calls it energy on her chest. That's what we started calling it. Like that. We're energetic beings, but she did stop eating chicken for a long time after mindful eating. (laughs) That will happen. And you rarely finish a full meal because you're present with your fullness. I mean, it truly is. I talk about it all the time. I just, even last night, was sharing it with my massage therapist that she should do mindful eating because I'm a firm believer. Because of the um, therapy I was getting when I was diagnosed with ADHD as well, which I think is just a symptom, actually, of me being extremely stressed at the time. But, you know, she told me to look at people's mouths when they were talking. And so, and also to ask them to actually look me in the eye when they had something to tell me. Yeah. So that I could hear them. You know, I mean, they're talking to me as I'm doing dishes and cleaning and cooking and I have four kids and, you know, all these things. And then they'd be like, didn't you hear me? You know, uh, no. (laughs) So, you know, it is, it kind of goes back to that part of myself that was, out of balance that got me the diagnosis of ADHD actually made me be more present with other people. It brought me to a higher place in my consciousness. It it, it almost sounds like a silver lining. Like you heard ADHD, but the silver lining was that it brought you to this other awareness. Yeah. I think, and I think there's silver lining in everything. I, I like to talk a lot about gratitude in my work and in my books and gratitude comes actually it's from a Latin word gratitudo, which goes back to mealtime saying grace at mealtime, finding what is pleasant at mealtime. Really? Your, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's the original meaning of, of gratitude. And so, you know, think about it. You can have gratitude for uh, their basic gratitude. I think of five basic kinds of gratitude, it's gratitude for, just the, the basic things, water, shelter, food, things without clothing, you know, things without which, which uh, you know, life would be really maybe impossible if not suffering. There's ordinary gratitudes. Mother Teresa talked about the ordinary gratitudes of simple things, right? Having your patience, your, you know, having love, have just simple things in life that enrich you. Then there's a um, personal gratitude, things without which that enhance your life personally. You have a career, you have a, you know, um, you have personal transportation, you have your health to whatever degree that is. So you have these personal things you could be grateful for. The next one would be relationship gratitudes. And so these are the things that all the people in your life that nourish you or you nourish them that enrich your life, you know, bring you joy and happiness. And the last thing is the interesting, this is the what I call the paradoxical gratitude or silver lining gratitude. This is being grateful for the things you wish you didn't have in your life. Now that's an interesting one. I 
a lady in a workshop once uh, when I mentioned that and her hand shot up right away. And she said, oh, I, I have a paradoxical gratitude I'd like to, to share with the group. And she told the story of how there was a tornado. I think she was, this was in the Midwest. I don't know if it was Kansas or wherever I was doing this workshop. And she said, "My I lost my house on a tornado. It was flattened. She said, nobody was hurt. But she said, I always had the belief that, you know, you're independent, you're self-sufficient, you got to do everything on your own. And uh, the whole, this community came to my aid at this time of this loss and helped me in such a way. It's like, I never realized that there was a community of people out there. And it changed my worldview from thinking I had to do everything on my own. I mean, to realizing, you know, I'm part of this network of people and it, and then it made her want to become part of that network and part of one of those people who helped others right so it changed her life so that was a paradoxical gratitude i love that reminds me of when i lost my dad who i was very close with i worked for him i had kids going in different directions he was always there taking one oh. he was great he was such he was a great dad i was lucky and I just did not, I mean, we almost had a very codependent relationship on each other in many ways too. So I was, thought I was very screwed when he died. I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And what I did was I had to do everything for the first time mm -hmm. for myself. And I found strength within myself I never knew existed. And I always say he gave me birth twice once in my life and once in his death hmm. that's gratitude i guess of the fourth gratitude you said <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah we do put so much limitations on ourselves i mean i did the majority of my life and we we know we're told we only have five senses we were told we only you know can do this or that and I have found none of that to be true. I, I mean, when you've heard before, I just thought they were like, you know, for like people who were like in Nike ads, you know, like go to the limit, you can do it. And, you know, uh, but you know what? I'm pretty dark. You know what? Today I'm hitting 1 million downloads on my podcast. I mean, what? <laughs> That's ridiculous. I never had any expectations ever. So it's, you know, it was all with my intention that it would land on whoever's ear that needed to hear. And yeah. so I think that, you know, I'll probably celebrate tonight. <laughs> well, but I'm celebrating me. Beautiful, that's an accomplishment. And I think it's a testament to your own uh, authenticity and what and your desire to give something of value to others, something meaningful. Well, you, I've been blessed with people you like you. <laughs> Thank you. But you I mean you share a lot of yourself, and I think it comes through. And yeah, and people need hope nowadays more than ever. People need inspiration, right? Yeah. It can feel like a very chaotic, scary world out there, and so I think our reason to be here is not to be fearful but to be joyful mm. and to seek that out and and what's so important too i think the people that are around us you need to think about who am i associating with it you know you can catch a cold you can also catch a fear <laughs> you can 
right? Um, you you can yeah. catch catch a laugh from somebody. You mm -hmm. can catch a smile. So, you know, think about who you're around. I'm not saying, you know, maybe that person is part of your family. You don't want it. You're not going to cut them off because they have a, you know, a negative way of viewing things. But maybe you want to just limit certain, put limits on things, but also seek out the positive, mm -hmm. right? Seek out people who help you feel inspired, right? Yeah. Help give you hope. Or maybe they have stories of hope that they share and share with you. So we can catch hope from others and we, we can catch motivation from others, right? Just like mm -hmm. catch a cold. I love that. And I think that vulnerability piece, like the story that you shared about your depression, I mean, immediately it triggered someone in my life who's in their 20s, you know, who also is going through that. It, like you gave me hope, right? So I caught that hope from you and I will spread that, you know, with him. And I think that that is what vulnerability does. You know, it brings us closer to each other. Just like you said, without this meat suit, I mean, we're just a bunch of vibrations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the same stuff. Yeah, really to be alive in this world right now and to maybe just impact one person's life. I think if you make one person's life better, you've done an amazing job, right? Yeah. <laughs> you have to change the world. You can change one person's life. and sometimes we underestimate the effect that we have on others and what we're doing and how we can you know give hope to another it's and that's a beautiful thing sometimes i uh think about people who changed my life in positive ways and i and maybe i never got a chance to share that with them so i made it more of a practice now to make sure i let people know how i appreciated something they did for me there was somebody when I got into grad school who helped me get into the grad school, I remember. And, and after I graduated, I went back and I said, you know, I don't think I ever thanked you for helping me back then. And boy, it made it, you know, for her to hear that was, was beautiful. And it meant a lot for me to be able to let her know. So. Yeah. yeah. You know, even the people that made you struggle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, teachers come in all shapes and forms, don't they? Yeah, they sure do. And the ones that you thought were the hardest asses were the ones that got you the most motivated to prove them wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know what, Donald, I am so grateful for you. I, I am truly. And, and uh, I can't wait to read your book. I, I Now, I really, really, truly, um, you know, it's like, I have so many authors on, there's not always, you know, chances to read books and many of them, you know, speak about the same wonderful, beautiful, you know, advice. But like I said earlier, you know, you really do put something out there that's just, it's almost like you're sneaking in like, hey, don't forget about this or these people, right? Or maybe the simple things that we forget, like being grateful. Yeah, yeah. You know, being kind to other people. Well, I enjoyed sharing this moment with you. Let me know how you liked the book, but I enjoyed yeah. I felt like I just had a nice talk with a friend and talked about some things that really mattered and resonated. Yeah, me too. So where can everybody get your book? 
but just if you were to go under an Amazon or, or Barnes and Noble, or one of the indie book sites, just type in Travelers by Donald Altman, that should show up. It does. Uh, and website, <laughs> mindfulpractices.com, M-I-N-D-F-U-L practices.com. And I have a newsletter, you could sign up and I have a link to my mindfulness blog on psychology today and some other kinds of research about mindfulness and tools. I'm really into giving people very easy to use, simple tools for improving your life right now. So you'll find those there. There's also some classes that I have. I have the mindful eating, it's called Eat, Savor, Satisfy, which is a 12 week to mindful eating program. And there's some 30 minutes to an hour of online video that goes with that book. And so you can access that. And so that's been very right. helpful. People oh, great. There. Now I have someone to send him. Now when I'm telling them about mindful eating, I can send them to you. Yeah. <laughs> that is so, that's so awesome. You know, tools is something that a lot that we need right now. We're in chaos. This is chaos. And so, you know, and I always think back, my dad dying again, taught me a lesson that I needed to learn tools. He died 64 years old, no tools, worked himself to death you know, anxiety constantly, his heart just wow. couldn't take it. And so it's so important, even just what you were saying earlier, just those simple breaths. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's so nice to meet you. You're welcome. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Sense of Soul podcast. And thanks to our special guests for joining me. If you want more of Sense of Soul, check out my website at www.mysenseofsoul.com where you can work with me one-on-one -on -one or help support Sense of Soul podcast by donating to my coffee fund. Thanks for listening.